Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. Hello and you're very welcome to the latest instalment of the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times coming to you from the Fine Gael Ardesh in the Sleeve Russell Hotel in beautiful County Cavan. I'm Hugh Linehan and with me are my colleague Harry McGee, also Minister for Housing, Planning and Local Government, Owen Murphy and Josepha Madigan who as well as being TD for Dublin Rathdown is Chair of the Oireachtas Budget Oversight Committee. I should also say that Fia Kelly is armed with a handheld microphone and he'll be wandering around the Summit Bar where we are in the hotel here um, gra- grabbing unwary unwary punters and asking their uh, their views on the Republic of Opportunity. And on that note, Harry, uh, last night the Taoiseach gave his first address as Taoiseach and as Fine Gael leader to a Fine Gael Ardesh. How did it go? Um, the, 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 uh, the acronym of the week is RU, uh, which I hadn't heard of before, but maybe I'm too old to hear. One minister from Fine Gael, uh, texted me to say that the speech would all be about RU. And I said, what's Rue? And he said, where have you been? Republic. It's Republic of Opportunity. There's already a split. It's Roop in some quarters. Well, some people I, say Roop. I prefer Rue because I'm working up to my punchline here. Okay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just did not think it was Deliveroo last night uh, at all, uh, Hugh. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I thought that in terms of presentation, I don't think Leo Varadkar has a reputation as being one of life's natural uh, orators, and we've seen before that he tends to be better in the cut and thrust of questions and answers uh, in terms of thinking on, on his feet. He's good, for example, at leaders' questions in the doll because it's kind of more spontaneous and it's more kind of uh, to and fro mm. uh, uh, and, uh, you know, f- essentially arguing or fighting toe-to-toe in terms of political rhetoric. And also he was here just in this very bar only a few minutes ago giving a, giving a press conference and he's very comfortable with that. It's more discursive and conversational. He seems more comfortable in that yeah, situation. A, a, absolutely. And to give him his due, I mean, it was his first um, address as leader of Fine Gael to a national conference and uh, that would have affected the nerves. It was a big occasion. He had to set out his uh, stall. Uh, in addition to that, he tried to be slightly different in terms of his uh, approach. And um, the approach was not to be as partisan and not to be as kind of party uh, political. I wrote a piece on Friday in which I recall some of the great uh, addresses by Fine Gael leaders in the past. And Liam Cosgrave, particularly in the 70s, uh, did not uh, spare uh, mongrel foxes and blow-ins. Mongrel and blow foxes from 72 and blow-ins from 1977. Mm. Uh, certainly uh, there was a whiff of sulphite uh, surrounding his speeches uh, when they were delivered at the time. Uh, the Taoiseach last night, for his own reasons, decided that he would stray away from that. My own analysis of that is that probably was a, a mistake. I think you're talking to a captive audience. You're, they're your own tribe. I don't want to be so uh, um, primal about it or so uh, emotive, but they are. They're Fine Gael people. And the reason they're here is because they stand for, for whatever party's values. And I think that one of the jobs of an address is to distinguish you uh, from the rest. And to do that, you have to do it by comparison. And some of the comparisons uh, have to be uh, a little uh, odious. Uh, but so there, he, was, there was little or no of that, none of that, actually. There was no attacks on Fianna Fáil or Sinn Féin or anybody, no, really. Uh, um, yeah, and I, 
I think it was a mistake. I think I think those speeches kind of need need that element at the at the very least. He did talk about Fianna Fáil and uh, the Greens in terms of the positive cooperation that they've had and tried to go into new politics. Now, what he tried to do was he tried to set out what his vision was, his long-term vision. Politics is such a short-cycle game. You, you Politicians can hardly look beyond the week, uh, let alone talking about years and talking about decades. And uh, if you look through Leo Varadkar's policy papers over the past year, particularly the policy paper he produced during the leadership campaign for Fine Gael, and also an op-ed piece that he wrote in September, he has set out some very... Um, uh, interesting uh, um, uh, policy papers uh, looking at what he wants to do I- in the long term. And I actually expected to see a little bit more uh, of those uh, last night than was delivered. For example, he wants to double Ireland's diplomatic presence uh, abroad. He wants Dublin to become a really important first-tier financial centre uh, in the world. It, in talking about developing our cities, he has put a lot of emphasis, for example, on apartment living in the future and has talked about creating new communities in places like the North Keys in Waterford, in the Inner Harbour in Galway and along Pigeon House in Dublin. And there are the things that I expected to see in terms of him setting out a long-term vision last night. Uh, and mm. a lot of the things he set out were the things that you would expect to see uh, in a political speech, what we're going to do over the next six months uh, or over the course of, of the next year. And the other thing, that the other element, just to, to conclude, uh, in relation to uh, how difficult it was uh, for him, was that the conference speech came at the start of the conference rather than at the end. And usually what because happens is... Because of some bloody football match. There was some football match on tonight, none of which we're going to look at. But he... Um, he, he uh, it, there's usually a build-up that takes place over Friday and over Saturday, mm. and then it all culminates... Uh, with the leader's speech at the end of Saturday night. And essentially what happened last night was that we had the, kind of the main course and the dessert at the start. And what we were offered on Saturday, uh, with all due uh, respect to everybody present, uh, was essentially the starter uh, or the soup. And um, I think there is a slight sense of anticlimax today and that he didn't really get the sense of kind of this momentum or this crescendo or this building up uh, last night. I think that would have played a little bit against him mm, as well. Josefa, that's a, that's a two-star restaurant review from Harry there. What do you make of it? <laughs> yeah, two-star, one-star maybe. Um, no, I, I, I was speaking with a few people earlier on. I have to say, I, I actually thought that, that and it's, I am not being partisan saying this, I'm trying to be as objective as I can, but I actually thought it was a really um, positive speech by the Taoiseach. And I think his delivery and his cadence and his tone and um, his pitch w- was absolutely perfect. And I don't think there's any need uh, at a Fine Gael National Conference as the Taoiseach to have to criticise any other party just uh, for the sake of scoring pot shots. I don't think there's any need to do that. Uh, certainly th- th- there were some um, sort of humorous points made at the presidential Fine Gael dinner, which had already been done. So I don't think there was any, it wasn't the occasion to do it last night. And yes, uh, as I said, it was his first address. I think there was a really... Um, strong feeling of support in the room for him, and I think he, I think he pitched it excellently. I have to say. Is there an element, Owen, that I mean, I would take Harry's point that perhaps this isn't the Taoiseach's strongest point, this kind of party leader oration, but that he has other strong points, and maybe this is a different kind of a speech that suits a different kind of a politician who's more comfortable, as you said, in the social media space or in debating in the dull, and that that's just fine, and you guys are happy with that. Well, one of the Taoiseach's great strengths is his ability to communicate with the public, and he had an opportunity yesterday evening to speak to the whole country. And he took that opportunity, yes, as leader of Fine Gael, but also as Taoiseach, to speak to the whole country about what he sees and what his vision is for the future and to try and underscore some of the main themes 
you know, behind the Republic of Opportunity. We have a whole weekend here together as Fine Gael members to, you know, thrash around different ideas and to debate the party and the state of the party and everything else. But for me, I mean, I saw the Taoiseach give one of the best deliveries that he's given in terms of the set pieces that he does. Harry's absolutely correct to say that the, the Taoiseach is an excellent debater. He's able to think on his feet. He's able to very quickly cut through to the essence of a matter on his feet in the door and communicate that back to the public. But he's also, I think, good at giving speeches. And I thought yesterday evening we saw him give a, a speech very, very well. And, and the content as well was very impressive. So, uh, you know, the membership here was, was very happy afterwards. And I think the feedback I've gotten, because obviously we were in the room from people who were watching it at home, I think he spoke directly to them and I think they liked what they heard. And he was here in this room, Harry, as I said, only a few minutes ago. And he was talking about this document, which I, I hold in my hand here. It doesn't work very well visually on a podcast. But uh, it, it says, Fine Gael building a republic of opportunity, the first iteration yeah, that's a, that iteration is a word I like. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure everybody does. It kind of says yeah. something about. And he was he was very much making the point, and uh, correct me if I'm if I'm doing him an injustice, that this is a kind of thing which Fine Gael and other Irish political parties haven't done previously in the way that they would formulate policy. He was saying something along the lines of previously parties waited until the last moment, until it was time for the general election campaign, and then they you know, cooked something up in a back room and uh, and threw it out of the public with four weeks to go to an election and Fine Gael is going to do this differently well, over the yeah, next political well, cycle. The, the, the classic example of that is the leader's address that Bertie Ahern delivered at the Fianna Fáil Ordesh in, um, in 2007, at which he threw the kitchen sink and all. I mean, he essentially, uh, he spelt out the, the manifesto and all the... All the uh, the tax incentives and this and that that they were going to give in the election. And that was a classic example of short-termism. I mean, I'd welcome, I really do welcome long-term. Long-term planning and political uh, life don't necessarily, they're not necessarily happy bedfellows because they both kind of contradict each other. The public demand answers and solutions now. I mean, as Owen Murphy has been finding in his first few jobs as Minister for Housing, people are looking for instant solutions, sometimes for problems which will take years uh, for, for, to, to find a proper uh, solution. So this type of, of long-term planning uh, is welcome. When you see the first iteration, I mean, uh, innate in that is the understanding that there is going to be reiteration. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll see these messages being built on and kind of repeated uh, and again and again. One? I think it's, it's, a, it's a relatively good start. I, I think there's, like all of these documents, there's lots of kind of, you know, woolly aspirational language in it. But there's some very specific... Uh, measures there's some very um, good um, uh, sections, particularly on equality of opportunity, that I think are really good because the issues like the, the gender pay uh, gap have come to uh, come to the fore in the past uh, week. So they're looking at some long-term solutions to make sure that all of those gaps and uh, disparities and disadvantages and discriminations and prejudices in our societies are finally ironed out. And to do them. I think you also, you also you have to have a plan that works now, but you also have to apply some long-term thinking to them uh, as well. Just uh, um, in in relation to um, uh, to to his overall um, uh, vision, you know, he he he's in a difficult um, place really because um, wh what he has, he's got very big ideas, and those of, some of those ideas will not be crowd pleasers. And the difficult, like for example. Well, if, for example, uh, if he wants to uh, to he, he wants to talk about lowering taxes for the middle classes, for example, that's that's coming at it from a Fine Gael point point of view, but that's something that he won't be able to get through at the moment. Or, for example, he wants to another big idea of Leo Varadkar's is to merge PRSI and USC, 
and there's going to be opposition to that from other parties. And at the moment, he just doesn't have the electoral or the, the Oireachtas strength uh, to, bring, to bring those through. So the, problem, the other problem that he has is that in an age of consensus politics where no party will have a majority, you'll find that some of those big ideas will be diluted down so much uh, by the time that they, they see complete, completion uh, that they will lose a lot of the e efficacy that they might have had. And countries like Denmark and uh, 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 Finland and uh, Holland and Belgium, uh, where you've had such arrangements before, we've seen big ideas and we've seen big ideas become quite small ideas mm. uh, by the time Parliament has finally disposed with them. Because, Josefa, there's a, there's a theory uh, wafting around in political theory circles, for those who, who often those, those areas at, at the moment, about political systems in, in Western countries in general, that there's a, a thing called, a, I think, sort of the tyranny of the minority veto, that it is becoming increasingly difficult, actually, to affect real political change, even when it's required, because the systems themselves have become kind of sclerotic. And you see that with Congress and the President in the United States or, or, or in other countries as well. I mean, Fine Gael are not going to be a minority... They're not going to be a majority uh, government party. Um, at best, they, they might get into a coalition next time out. I'm sure that would be well, an improvement on the current dispensation. So they're not going to be able, able well, to implement all I this. wouldn't agree with that, Hugh. I mean, they are going to be a majority in the next hole. Well, of course, we're going to aspire to that. I mean, it's important to clarify as well that this uh, rue, as you call it, <laughs> the Republic of Opportunity, it's, it's a rolling long-term um, programme. So it, it's not a programme for government. At the moment, we're tied mm. into programmes for government uh, with the independent alliance and obviously we have a confidence in supply agreements with Fianna Fáil. So to the extent that we can implement some of the policies in that, uh, within that structure, then we will try and do that. But this is, as Harry said, it's a long-term vision. Uh, it's starting the, over this weekend and it, it originated from the thinking back in Fianna Gael and also from feedback that we got in the general election, internal reviews that were done, that we needed a new approach. I think it's very innovative. I think it's going to uh, be a, a wonderful way for us as a party to listen to what people want um, you know, in, in civic societies, in think groups, in NGOs, uh, as to what they what they believe, and also obviously the membership of Fianna Gael. And you know what we would hope to do and hope to achieve is that at the next uh, national conference we'll be able to vote on this. Uh, so by the time there is an election, and we don't know when that is, that we will be able to ensure a majority uh, for Fianna Gael. And I think. I, I, I'm really proud of Leo Varadkar. I'm really proud of Richard Bruton, by the way. I was part of the steering group with other parliamentarians in relation to this. It is the first iteration. I like the word too, Hugh, I have to say. Uh, it's over 11 different chapters and it's sort of like in a, a thematic um, way it's done as opposed to kind of in, in a departmental silo approach, uh, which I think is, is a, a broader way, a more inclusive and comprehensive way um, of trying to broach all the, the, the relevant uh, issues that affect I, people in this country. I suppose, I suppose Owen, that it may well be a useful process for Fine Gael and a better way of putting together its ideas and developing them and fleshing them out. The probability is that, you know, between general elections, the general public don't pay that much attention to, the, to these things. And they may just pick on one or two items. I've even noticed over the last 12 hours or so, there's one or two items in this that have been picked because they're kind of easy to explain and they're sort of newsworthy. So I, I was driving up here the, this morning, or to be more accurate, I was being driven up by our producer, Declan. And um, we were listening to this thing about the, you know, a proposed change in social welfare. So that people would get uh, unemployment benefits commensurate with what they had paid in, um, as opposed to the situation at the moment, which I'm sure a lot of people listening to that thought, oh, that's interesting. And they also probably thought, actually, that's the way it used to be 20 or 30 years ago, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's kind of the point, I think, to come back to just what Josepha and Harry were saying. I mean, big ideas, if they're good ideas, can persist regardless of who is in government. 
And Fianna Gael believe that we have a responsibility in government, whether, you know, if, if it's one more month or one more year or ten more years, that regardless we have to plan for the future and that our, our, our people expect that of a government and we have to plan outside of political cycles. So today, this afternoon, we were talking about our plan for Ireland 2040, our plan and the 10-year national investment plan that will support the first ten years of that. But it's also important. You know, the public might not be paying attention to what we do every day. That's why we, you know, we think it's important that we try and communicate and find new ways of communicating with them to get them interested in what we're doing. So while it's important to plan long term, it's also to, important to plan in a, in a, I suppose, a cooperative way. And Josefa touched upon that in terms of not being in silos. We are trying to modernise politics here, not just modernise our party. This is a commitment that Leo Varadkar gave in the leadership campaign. Not just to modernise our party, but to modernise our politics. Here is our first iteration of a manifesto that at one point in time in the future will be adopted as the election manifesto for the next general election. What are the other parties doing to tell us what they're thinking and their plans? Because while the public may not be paying attention every day, journalists like you do, and interested organisations and voluntary organisations and business groups pay attention as well. And we believe we have a responsibility to communicate our, our ideas early so that they can see our direction of thought, but also in doing that, that we can work with the different sectors in Irish society to help improve ideas, our ideas. We don't have a monopoly on wisdom. We, we say that these are our initial thoughts. What do you think? And let's try and build a stronger idea and a stronger purpose from that. And if it's good enough, regardless of who comes up with the idea or the policy, we will bring that forward. And we would hope that other parties would do likewise when they come into government, not just to reject ideas because they came from Fine Gael or wherever, but if a good idea, you know, if a big idea is a good idea, that it would persist through other governments. So that's what we do in this conference today. I think it's bold. There are things in this document that people won't agree with. There are things that people might think are mistakes. But if we don't put our thinking out there for all to see, um, then we're never going to know that. Fia, you've been sitting there very quietly. Is this, a, is this actually a different way of doing things? I think it is, and I think, you know, Harry's point about working towards manifesto and there are things in there, there are ideas in there. We've already seen, we only saw this document this morning and I had a quick read through it during the sessions this morning. We've already seen one of those ideas take effect. So while you have to be a majority or a majority party in a coalition to impose most of them as, you know, onto statute books or whatever, one idea that Leo Varadkar came up with, which was raising the threshold at which people entered a higher rate of income tax, that's happened already. So he's already acting on some of the policy outlines in it. So we've already seen moves towards that direction in the budget. So there are kind of interesting pointers in it when I was looking at that will probably feed into future Fine Gael and government policy. And when you can't get everything, you have to ask for something or you'll get nothing. So this summer when Leo Varadkar and Pascal Dunham made it quite clear that they would be seeking to raise that threshold, people were kind of doubting whether Fianna Fáil would play ball with that because it wasn't strictly in the confidence supply agreement. But they got somewhere along the way. They didn't get everything they but wanted. But that was very... Along the that way. Was, I, I wouldn't describe it as necessarily as tokenistic, but it was more symbolic than real well, in terms of having any real impact. Counts because it? otherwise, like, you know, he's defining the party, as we all know, for the people who go early in the morning. So symbolism is a huge part of that. How do you communicate to those people what you're about unless you do certain things? But actually, I might just ask on something because I just came this morning, so I watched the speech on TV last night. Now, to me... I thought the content was very good, the delivery was a bit flat, but I don't think Leo Varadkar is a natural orator, that's not his style. He's perhaps more of a clinical politician. But just speaking to people around the place this morning, there were some people suggesting that the reason it didn't connect in the hall was because he didn't connect with the members during the leadership election and he still has to win them over. Now, you were his campaign manager. Is there a validity in that point? No, I think there's no validity in that point, Fiek. I mean, we had a leadership contest. It was, I think, almost six months ago... Um, some people voted for Leo Varadkar, some people voted for Simon Coveney, but regardless, once that contest was over... Um, These are people who voted for you guys now, mind you, saying this this morning. Yeah, but once that contest was over, we all rallied behind the leader of our party, as we do. 
And even though some would believe that Simon might have been a better leader and, 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 and still might, and I believe that Simon would be a great leader. Um, but, you know, Leo won that election and we think he's doing an excellent job. I think the members think he's doing an excellent job. So if people are looking for reasons as to why it mightn't have connected with them, I don't think that's one of them. Um, but I did, I mean, I mean, I was talking to some members myself and they felt that maybe it wasn't speaking to them enough as, as Fine Gael. And the point I was making to them was, well, we all spend this whole weekend talking to each other, but that was an opportunity for the leader of the country and the leader of Fine Gael to talk to them. Yeah. And that's what he was doing. Actually, just to pick up on the point Harry was saying about the speech, not having red meat for attacking Fianna Fáil, I don't think you can actually do that given the shape of this governmental arrangement. You know, if Leo Varadkar stood up and introduced Fianna Fáil and the independence last night, we would have all sorts of doubts about the spill of the government. That was a speech designed for the circumstances in which the government finds but itself. It I think for, it, because but, but, he, but he, he did go further than that. It didn't attack Sinn Féin and it was quite sweet to Labour and the Greens as opposed to It was, but, he, but well. like he, has to, he has to prove that this works. Like he is the mm. Taoiseach in a mm. very, very curious arrangement that we've never seen before. So he has to prove to the public that this actually works in the whole. And I, interestingly, the only criticism I picked up of Fianna Fáil was implicit criticism about what Fine Gael does. And he was impl implicitly saying, that's not what Fianna Fáil does. Well, there's something in that for you, right? Yeah. Because obviously, you know, you can make direct comparisons and say, well, Fianna Fáil are, are rubbish and we are brilliant. Or you can do something what they didn't do at their, at their Ardeshna, which they, they gave out about everyone else. I think the Taoiseach wanted to say, well, look, the people aren't interested in politicians just fighting each other all the time. The people want to hear what we actually want to do for them. And that was his approach to the speech last night. Yeah. Um, and I think, sorry to yes, cut across here, and, and I think if you're in the room, Fiek, mm. yourself, uh, you would have read the temperature in the room differently. Uh, because certainly from where I was speaking, um, I could really relate. And I think when you're, when you're a Fine Gael member and you're listening to your leader, to, to a certain degree, you're going to try and um, self-reflect on what he is saying so that you can feed back to him if, the, if you felt there were any flaws in his speech. But I, I have to say, I thought it was, it was delivered excellently. If, if you were in the room, you probably would have joined Fine Gael. <laughs> 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 Whoa, I don't think so. Have, have, you, have you signed up for Fine Gael since you were uh, there? In the no, room, not necessarily. One, 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 of the, one of the things, I mean, Micheál Martin had no scruples at all about attacking uh, Leo Varadkar in his leader speech a couple of weeks ago. And I think that if Leo Varadkar had attacked Micheál Martin and Fianna fall last night. I think Fianna, Fianna Fáil would have been very understanding of that and they know well what the rules of engagement are uh, for political... There's no need for it. And, 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 and sorry, and as, as Hugh said earlier, you know, when you're talking about minority government, um, we, we are in a minority government. We're in, we're in a partnership with, with the Independent Alliance and, and a confidence and supply. So, you know, why, why was there a need for, for him to criticise anybody Well, I'll tell you, Josepha, Dublin rot down. When the election comes in Dublin rot down and when you're up against your Fianna Fáil opponents, I, I don't think you'll be... Uh, sparing the rhetoric. Well, that's a different situation. No, it's exactly now. the same. It wasn't this a is, campaign last This is the nature it, of it politics. Fine no. is a party that stands no, for something. No, no. And to stand for something, you have to highlight the differences that exist between you and your opponents. And there is but a way in which it does. And sometimes it doesn't make for very velvety prose, but it's something that, that the audience expects. No. One, well, one what thing, Michael Ring, for example, what, like what about it, Michael Ring's contribution yeah, I mean, last night? Yeah, and, but that and was I for mentioned the that. members, because yeah. that wasn't televised. So he was speaking to the members, we were speaking ah, to each other. But he has a responsibility when he's talking to the general public through RTE to, to speak to the country and to, and to give a vision. And that's what he was doing. And it, it wouldn't have served the public if no. the leader of Fine Gael and their Taoiseach had spent half an hour exactly. giving out about other political I, parties. I'm not he saying had to talk half to an the hour, future. but I, I think the, there, in speeches like that, there are spaces to distinguish you from your other parties. And sometimes that has to be done in a slightly But sometimes you do it in a subtle way. And, and I have to say, I, one thing I like about um, Leo Varadkar's uh, characteristics as a speaker, uh, and you know, we have to remember, by the way, Hitler was a fantastic orator, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really irrelevant. Okay, what I like. What I like about Leo Vracker is that okay. he's very succinct. 
he's erudite. Uh, he doesn't exaggerate on what he says. Um, I think he's. I think he he he, he gets it in a nutshell, and he, and he says it quite directly. And and um, in, in a very a very But it is true. <laughs> just 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 in relation to the point that Fiuk made, which was quite of interesting as well, because there was a a look. We're not talking about a George Colley versus Charlie Hawhey division within Finnegal, but there was a slight division that kind of emerge during the leadership campaign where Leo Varadkar carried uh, the parliament and slightly carried the, the local authorities, uh, whereas Simon Coveney won what was termed as a popular uh, vote. Um, I, I think that, that for a party like Fine Gael, once the, once the contest was over, I mean, it was evident to me uh, throughout uh, the weekend that there isn't any question or any doubt amongst the membership about Leo Varadkar's leadership. I think the leadership question uh, is settled now. But it does point to a, a, a challenge uh, in Fine Gael, as, as as it is in other parties, particularly Fianna Fáil, is that they, the membership tends to be slightly of an older demographic in, in Fine Gael, and the people that Leo Varadkar is trying to attract in are the people who aren't members of Fine Gael, a kind of a younger uh, demographic. And it's actually quite hard to be able to talk to both audiences because both audiences have, uh, nowadays you know, younger audiences are adept at social media. So, so Harry, does that mean that Michael Ring talks to the floor and Leo Varadkar and Owen come out when it's time when the television lights switch on? To, to, us, to, to a certain extent, I mean, Leo, Leo Varadkar is more comfortable at using social media than perhaps his predecessor was, and I think that that's important. Although I was looking well. at an Instagram picture of him loading his dishwasher the other day, and I thought, is this what we've come to? We've seen, <laughs> and off his socks as well, but maybe perhaps a but, little but bit too much there. We belittle that stuff. We belittle that stuff. I was talking about this um, yesterday. You know, it's important, we have an important role as politicians to demystify politics and to communicate with as many people as we can to get them interested in at least knowing what we do, at least knowing who Leo Varadkar is, which might sound simple to some of us because we're involved in politics, but to a lot of people who are 17, 18, coming of voting age, they won't know that. So if any small device might demystify politics, might humanise him as a person because he is the leader of our country, those are good things to do. They take 30 seconds to send a tweet. It's not a, a big deal, but if it helps, then we should explore those new communication channels because we've moved beyond everyone tuning in for the 6 o'clock news. We've moved beyond you know, everyone just buying the one paper every day and getting their news from that source. So if there are new channels there, I think we should use them, and I think he uses them in an effective way. And we shouldn't associate the same weight with a picture of a dishwasher and him loading it with a speech uh, to a national conference. He packs his dishwasher or, rather than yeah. loads his dishwasher. That was the thing that surprised me most about that picture. I, I, I most people no load their dishwashers. You know, Maybe Fine Gael people the, pack their dishwashers. You know, the social media in, uh, in the marriage referendum, and that harnessed a, a very strong young vote, if you like. And, you know, if social media is the only way to connect with those people, then we should use it. Yeah, I, I, I'll just offer a view that he should be a little careful of it because some of it rings a little bit. Trying, trying too hard, I suppose, is the way I put it. You can take that advice under advice. advice. <laughs> but, but you can have all the substance like you have in a, in a speech to the country last night and you can still do the, the, the Twitter and the social media. You can have both. Oh, oh, and I want to ask you about something different. I was down at the session, which I think was also being televised uh, just about an hour, a couple of hours ago, and you were, you were on, the, on the stage. And a delegate from Kildare asked a question about social housing. And we're not going to get into the whole housing thing at the moment. That would require a half a dozen separate podcasts. But he, he made a point of that the party, that he felt that the party was perceived as being ideologically opposed to the idea of providing social housing. And, and you rejected that. But what interested me about it was an idea that that the party, the party's public image, there might be a problem with that, that it's seen as being, I suppose, as again, Michal Martin is trying to place it at the moment, is seen as being right of centre. But that, I mean, that's the kind of the, 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 the spin that gets thrown against us by the other parties. Because, but is it working, as that well, but, delegate was perhaps suggesting? Well, whatever about the spin, they can't attack us on the substance. Next year, we'll almost double the number of social houses built by the state. 
This year will more than four times increase the output of social housing than what, what, what it was against 2015. From a very, tiny base. From a tiny base, but that, that wasn't our mistake. We, we are dealing with legacy issues, and we have been for six years. And what we are making sure is, as a principle, that into the future the state will always build social houses for those people who are most vulnerable. We are a party of aspiration, as Neil Rakkar said last night. You know, if we're to talk about a republic of opportunity, if it's to have any meaning at all, we have to make sure there are possibilities for all of our people. And that means homes for people to live in. And that's one thing that we are absolutely committed to as a government. We have a Department of Housing that didn't exist before, and it's not a simple rebrand. The Department of Environment essentially moved over to the Department of Communications. Areas like community have moved into Michael Ring's new department. And the vast majority of my time, apart from issues around local government and planning in Irish water and emergency response, are focused on houses, getting new houses built for every single people, person in this country, up and down the country. And that means building social houses, but it also means making sure that there are houses there that are affordable to buy and to rent as well for people who don't qualify for social housing. We want to make sure that every Everyone has an opportunity in this country, and that's exactly how we do it. So you don't think at all, and I put this to you, Josefa, as well, that there might be a problem that Fine Gael is perceived as the party as representing the people of, in Owen's case, Ranala, in your case, Dundrum, in Leo Varadkar's case, Castle Knock, rather than the people who are in the areas where this this thing is hurting the hardest. No, I mean, the, the, the government, which, is, which Fine Gael is obviously the, the part of, represents all of the country. And... Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, one of the great things about the RU or the Republic of Opportunity is that we're trying to be accessible. We're trying to show as, as a party that we listen to every single solitary person who lives in this country and that they will have a say. So I absolutely don't accept that at all. I mean, I, I think Owen uh, is right. It, it, it's very difficult to strike a balance between um, looking after one sector of society and looking after another. And, it, you know, we have to try and do that and achieve that as much as we can. But by listening and starting a conversation, I mean, this is really revolutionary, what Leo Varadkar is trying to do here. And it's the first time it's ever been done in this country. And I, and I, I, I'm, I think it's going to be really exciting and it, it's going to put a lie to those claims, I think, Hugh. Hugh, it's not about where we're from as individuals. It's about where we want our country to go, the vision that we have for the future for every single person in this country. That's what a Republic of Opportunity is about, and that's what this document speaks to. We want to take a question from the audience. We have Kevin O'Higgins from Dublin Bay South, who's a, a, a regular fixture at all Fine Gael events. He's going to ask a question. Yeah, indeed. Uh, no, just, just um, uh, it is a superb document. I'm looking forward to reading it. But uh, just, I'm just wondering whether Josefa Anoun would think that this is a just society moment in the history of Fine Gael. Actually, I mean, that's a very good question, because people often ask about, well, what do we mean when we talk about a republic of opportunity, and where, where are its roots? And absolutely, one of its roots, its foundations, is Declan Costello's Just Society, and that very important idea that runs through that document, which is, regardless of the circumstances of one's birth, they should be able to have the exact same opportunities as everyone else. Joseph O'Connor has a line in one of his books about the Republic of the Nighttime, and he talks about the nighttime and its darkness being a social leveller because you couldn't, it was a description of people travelling on a ship, you couldn't see who was who on the boat. That's about a possibility. So when Leo Varadkar talks about a Republic of Opportunity, he's talking about possibility and not limiting the possibilities of people in this country. But he actually takes it a step further than the Just Society because he also talks about a second chance. So he talks about the state enabling people and being there to give them opportunities to achieve the very best that they can as individuals in communities. But should they stumble, should they fall, the state will be there to help them back up. And that's an important, I think, evolution of the Just Society idea. And another thing that we try to do in this document and try and do in this work is try and communicate that to a, a younger audience. Because you'll say Declan Costello to me, I'll know exactly what you mean. Or you'll say the Just Society, I'll know exactly what you mean. But people under the age of 30 might not have a clue. 
So we are trying to now bring those ideas into the modern era. And we talked about this in the leadership election as well, about how we've moved beyond simple left-right and those kind of debates of the past. And we have, and it's why it's so difficult now in dealing with the left, because it's purely populist on their part. It wasn't a case that the right beat the left or the left beat the right. I mean, we have a social welfare state in this country, and that's a good thing. I think if people on the left, or who define themselves as being on the left, went back to pre-beverage times in the UK or pre-New Deal, they'd be congratulated for the success that they have had in bringing about this great um, you know, social transfer that we have in this state, and that's a good thing. But it's not the case either that capitalism failed or, or capitalism won outright. We believe in, in, in markets for certain delivery, but we believe in regulated markets, that the government does have to have an important say in those things. So it's but about it, trying to chart it, a new it, third it, way, a new middle way. But it's not black and white, is it? I mean, the Just, no, society, you know, the just society wasn't supported by everybody in Fine Gael in the 60s, 70s and 80s. There was an alternative view within Fine Gael, and some of that view was uh, was reflected in the many people who defected to the PDs, certainly in terms of voters, in the in the 80s and 90s. And that's a funny thing, because when I came into Fine Gael, I joined, I think, in the summer of 2008, and I was elected as a councillor in 2009. And I saw myself as being in the liberal wing of that party. But even in, over the, the course of the last six or seven years since I've been a member, society has changed so much, and Fine Gael has both changed with it and led some of that change, that there is, you know, we're moving beyond even those terms of liberal and conservative, of social democrat versus Christian democrat. These are old debates that don't really resonate anymore. And one of the challenges that we face as a modern democracy and any Western democracy faces now is trying to meet the aspirations of its people, um, while at the same time trying to manage the different difficulties that we have as economies that are now more interlinked than ever. Um, and it's one of those, 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 those channels and one of those risks that we see right up at the moment, not just in the face of Brexit, but also in the, 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 the potential threats to international trade that are being pursued by certainly large countries at the moment through Trump policies if they actually get brought through and everything else. So, you know, to try and, and, and kind of hone in on a political philosophy or a guiding framework, I think, is very important. But equally as important is to make that real for people. So, so do you see that as, a, as part of the most recent influx of TDs elected at the last general election? What, I mean, what's your understanding then of what, of, of what Fine Gael is in terms of that political landscape yeah. that Joan described? I mean, I, 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 I see what Kevin is saying. And I, and I do think, you know, you're right, I do think we're on the precipice of change um, and Owen touched on that earlier by changing the nature of politics, not just the nature of Fine Gael. I think we have to do that. When we look around the world and we, and we see, and you mentioned it earlier, Hugh, about different democracies around the world, we need to be, um, we need to move with the times. And, you know, if, if this is a way to achieve it, I, I do think it's a turning point. And I think calling it the Republic of Opportunity, sometimes, uh, it, you know, people can, can make light of that. Uh, but it's a lot more serious than, than people give a credit for. And I think it's something that we're going to see built on over the next few months. I think it's very exciting. I want, want to move on to another subject because we are only about three or four kilometres away here now from the border, which I'm guessing is not an accident, this this location being chosen for the Ardesh this, uh, this particular time. I was watching BBC Newsnight last night, the political editor of The Sun, uh, a newspaper always noted for having its finger on the pulse of Irish politics, was suggesting that the Taoiseach was taking a particularly hard line right now on the border issue because he was, and I quote, afraid of losing seats at a general election to, to Sinn Féin. Uh, that was kind of typical of the sun, really. Uh, but I, the Taoiseach was here again only a few minutes ago, and he was a answering a question. And I have to confess, I'm still a bit confused about what the playbook is here right now for the Irish government. He was asked, um, was the Irish government looking for the single market and the customs union to be retained across the whole island of Ireland? He replied 
perfectly you know, acceptably, he said, yes, of course, that's what we want. But we do know that the realities of the political dispensation in the UK at the moment is that that's not going to happen, either in the case of the UK as a whole remaining within uh, those entities or Northern Ireland being in somehow hived off. So, Owen, what is the Taoiseach looking for? Because we seem to be right at the sharp end of this now, that we're going to really come to the crunch over the next few weeks uh, as the push comes up to, to move to this second phase of negotiations. What is the playbook and what's the end game right now? You know, to start with, you know, a, a quote that might capture this, you know, doubt, and we have a lot of doubt, is an unpleasant condition, but certainty is an absurd one. We cannot be certain about the future direction of Brexit. That's why we have to manage and plan for all types of different scenarios. Our deputy leader, Simon Coveney, was quite clear about this in the uh, public session this morning, that Fine Gael won't make politics of Brexit. We have an, a responsibility here, a national responsibility, to protect the best interests of the Republic of Ireland. And we will do that, and we do that going into this, as one of 27. And we, we do that with our European partners. But we also recognise that there cannot be a return to a border in this country. And we have said to the UK, and they agree with that. And so as we navigate what may or may not happen into the future, we know, and the, the EU agree with us, as do the UK, that we have, to have, we have to avoid the return of a hard border and everything else that would flow from that. And what we will try and do as we try and find more certainty, but it is very difficult because of the changing political landscape in the UK, um, and, and because as time moves on, um, things become more challenging as we as we move up against that potential cliff edge in in, in uh, May of 2009. We will make sure as we navigate that path that we will always put those interests at the forefront of the negotiations. But isn't there a paradox in the structure as was laid out in the post-Article 50, which was that significant progress needed to be made on this issue of the border in the first phase before moving to the second phase, but it was impossible to make that progress because the second phase deals with those issues of customs, customs union and single market. Well, article 50 is an imperfect article, and I think everyone would agree that if they could go back and redraft it, they would. Um, but that idea of, of, of having made progress on this particular issue before you could then go and talk about the other, other areas was precisely... That is there precisely because we made it a priority of the EU27 as one of the first three priorities in the first phase. And it's a difficult line to walk. You have to balance that, making sure that you can get into the meat of the substance, but also understanding that really to kind of have finalization around some of that meat really requires, you know, you having an understanding of, of, of where you want to go. So there is a difficult bridge point between phase one and phase two in these talks, and we recognize that. It's important, though, that we cross that bridge because we want to get into, into the meat of actually what we are talking about when we talk about um, the terms of what a future arrangement might look like. But again, you know, we are, we are beholden to an article that has not to date served us well, I think. No, certainly not. I mean, Fiak, you asked the Taoiseach that question yeah, I thought it was interesting over the last week, both in the Taoiseach's contribution to the dollar this week, um, where he said he was optimistic that we could move to stage two after the European Council meeting in December. He adopted that very position, which was the British government's position, that we cannot possibly talk about the future border until we talk about the future relationship. So he seemed in one way to be going that way. And then in that contribution, he also said, but we need to see specifics from the UK government, what, what they actually want. I think the more interesting thing, and I was asking the teacher those questions myself, was he was in Jersey yesterday for the British-Irish Council. And in a Q&A session, which I don't think was really broadcast anywhere, if you listen to the detail of what he said, and he said it there again, he's not really talking about as far as I can see, remaining in the single market or the customs union, which probably is a political impossibility at this point for the British government, he seems to be talking about regula regulatory equivalence. And he made the point, which I thought was very interesting, I thought maybe Josephine might pick it up a bit. He said, look at the Isle of Man. He said it is neither in the UK or the EU, but it basically abides by all the rules and it's allowed 
you know, operate within the common travel area, within these kind of islands, as we always call Except them. If you're buying a so cash. I just wonder if that's the direction we're going in. Um, and like, you know, we've heard Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin asked for special status, but if what Leo Varadkar is talking about, isn't that really special status in all but name for Northern Ireland? Josefa? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I didn't hear that interview, actually, Fiek. But I mean, I, I, I was struck by his speech last night when he talked about us, sorry, being, being you know, pro-European. And, a very, and we are part of the 27 and um, there's an awful lot of unknowns in this. You know, we have to see what the transitional deals are. Um, we're just going to have to take it, I think, month by month as to what happens. But obviously we have to protect our hands. I don't see us going back to hard border either. I don't see that happening. But the, the problem is that um, if Britain leaves the customs union, I mean, th this is the difficulty with that revenue document that was uh, not published was that they were looking at scenarios that would happen if Britain were to leave the customs union. And their conclusion was uh, that, you know, that there would need to be some kind of a presence at the border. And also there would be a, a, a significant increase in, in terms of monitoring of goods and people uh, exiting and leave, leaving this jurisdiction. They said that that would be uh, inevitable. And that was withdrawn because they were essentially giving the British <laughs> suggestions as to what they might do uh, in that scenario. And from, from my perspective, it seems that this, the government has been asking the British government for months to please tell us what your idea is about how the border is going to operate uh, if you are to leave the customs union and if you're not going to leave the customs union. And, uh, but we're dealing with an entirely dysfunctional government across the water. But, but the they, they, have, they have supplied no answers. And, and I, I, I sympathise with the government. The government are left in kind of a, a limbo situation at the moment until Britain, Britain yeah, does come up with, 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 with an answer to that. So if a gentleman here wants to make a comment, you might just give us your name and where you're from. Okay. <clears throat> I'm Michael Sexton from Cork South Central. One of the difficulties the government has in this country has is that, <clears throat> despite what people like Arlene Foster will say, her voters, just a few miles up the road, voted for Brexit, for a hard border. They want to reinforce partition from, this is unfinished business from 1921. So they do want a hard border because they want to, <clears throat> if it's a choice between the UK and the EU, it will always be the UK. I, I wonder if that's true, particularly if you're talking about the people who voted for Arlene Foster just up the road in somewhere like Fermanagh, where their their lives, their daily lives are very intertwined with going backwards and forwards across the border all the time. It might possibly be true in North Down or East Belfast. Oh, well, no, I, I'd slightly, sorry, end up, I would disagree because I know people from there whose milk comes to Kilachandra. Mm. And they would accept impoverishment if it reinforced the border and reinforced their Britishness. Owen? Well, just, I think this is interesting because it, it speaks to one of the main dilemmas that the UK government faces, and it's trying to discern why exactly people voted for Brexit. And because the question that was put to the people was so simple and so high level, they don't actually know what their public want in terms of a new relationship or an associate relationship or what it might be in the future. And so therefore, the, 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 the front bench of the Tory government can't have any confidence in taking a proposition beyond their 1922 committee or beyond their own backbenches to the people that would have great public support. And it makes it very difficult for them then to come to an actual position in each of the different areas and each of the different fronts that we have to manage a potential Brexit. Vincent uh, Boland wrote an extraordinary article in the Financial Times several months ago in which he spent several days walking along the border and the sentiments that were expressed by our friend here in the audience, he, he found that resonating yeah, dozens right. and dozens of, of times. And there is that yeah. element and that is something that will have to be dealt I, I, with. I have to say as well, I would agree with that. During the referendum campaign, I spent about a week in Northern Ireland and along the border gauging opinion of people up there, and I specifically went to the Cattle Mart in Market Hill, 
which we assumed was going to be these were unionist farmers, and we assumed, we went there at the working assumption, these people will want to stay in the European Union. I found I spent a day there at a cattle mart, eight out of ten people wanted out. And oh, there you go. I, stand, cor I stand corrected on, on, on that. Anyway, listen, we're, we're, the clock is ticking because I'm conscious that Owen in particular has to go off and perform a very important part of his job, which is talk to councillors. Um, but, um, Harry, I want to ask you a question, and I'll ask, I'll ask the rest, of, put it to the rest of you as well. Um, we did a podcast in the Fianna Fáil Ardesh a couple of weeks ago, and we were trying to figure out what to call it, and we ended up calling it Ready for Government? Uh, question mark. Um, should the question for Fine Gael, after what has been the most successful electoral period since the 1920s, which was Cumannandale then, should the question be Ready for Opposition? Question mark. Um, <laughs> I thought you'd ask me an easy question, like who's going to win the game tonight? Um, who is going to win the game? Um, well, hopefully Ireland are going to win both it. Of them. Um, both games, yeah, all three games actually. Um, I suppose I'm asking, what are what are the party's prospects now? Okay, I, I the, the opinion polls sometimes um, flatter uh, Fine Gael a little, and I think that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil will not, there won't be too much separating them in the next election. But I mean, the next election could be two years away. You know, we could be talking about uh, the middle of 2019. And there's also, there's always a possibility that once the confidence and supply agreement comes to an end at the, at, uh, at the end of next year, there might even be an extension of that, maybe for six months or for a year on an ad hoc uh, basis. And that would actually be helpful in some respects because if the general election is held before the local elections, the European elections, the kind of the political sequence will go a little bit out of kilter. And um, local elections are a very good uh, uh, learning uh, place for people who are aspirant uh, TDs and senators. Um, from my own point of view, just looking at the constituencies, I think at the moment, looking at it just from a constituency point of view, without paying too much attention to the opinion polls, I think the potential for gains lies a little bit stronger with Fianna Fáil at present than it does with Fine Gael, especially in places like Dublin. If you look at the constituency changes that were affected recently, if you look at, at seats that can be picked up, I think they, the advantage lies somewhat with Fianna Fáil at the moment, say, for example, Dunlira, Dublin Central, uh, Dublin South Central, perhaps Dublin Northwest, uh, perhaps they'd be in with a chance of a second seat in, in, in Dublin North as well. I mean, that would be more marginable. And then once you go outside, Lundford West Mead, uh, Galway constituencies, Limerick constituencies, uh, some of the core constituencies and elsewhere, then you look at the places where Fianna, Fianna Gael has the potential to pick up seats. And it just, they just don't, they don't present themselves so readily. Of course, it's Tipperary. Uh, there's this constituency here, of course, uh, Cavan Monaghan, mm -hmm. uh, where they would have a relatively good chance of picking up a second seat. And that political editor from The Sun didn't know what he or she was talking about uh, because uh, Fine Gael are absolutely under no threat electorally <laughs> from Sinn Féin. I think their main threat will, will, will lie uh, from, from Fianna Fáil and from, in, from independence. And I think that the battle in the next election will be uh, over the carcass of, of the independents. I think the independent tide is going out um, um, and it won't be helped by all the kind of shenanigans that we've been seeing happening within the independent alliance. And I think that the, the main beneficiaries of that, especially in rural areas, and especially more prosperous uh, uh, urban areas, uh, would be the two big parties. So, so but at the moment, I, I think just the potential is just slightly with, with Fianna Fáil at the moment. Leo Bradford's big task is that he's a new generation leader and he's, he's going to be the guy who's going to bring in this kind of uh, millennial generation of voters, the people who voted in the marriage referendum or whatever, and he's the guy who's tasked with taking them all into Fine Gael. Joseph, I, I presume Fine Gael will be going after Shane Ross's seat in, in your constituency uh, <laughs> next time out. That, that's yeah. an easy win for you. 
will it be an easy win? Uh, three-seater, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a tough call. It's hard to know. But obviously, of course, we'd be looking for two seats in, in Dublin right down. goes without saying. I mean, since I got elected, it was only February 2016, so it's only a year and a half ago, um, we've been talking about an election. So at this stage, if there's an election tomorrow, so be it. Um, you know, I, I, I think Harry may be right. It might be longer than that. In terms of whether Fianna Fáil is going to gain, I... I, I you know, and it's, it's, again, it's not trying to be partisan. I, I don't think so, because I think we have a huge opportunity here with, with the Republic of Opportunity, and I think that's going to resonate with the, the Irish people in terms of have, being able to feed back into this. They've never been asked to do this before. They've never had an opportunity to do this before. And, you know, there is a vision there, and I think that if, if we have enough people in Fine Gael selling that message and uh, the members believe in us, I think we will go very far, and I think we'll be in majority next time. Owen, what do you think of Ari's prediction of an uphill climb for Fine Gael? Um, well, I think, first of all, whenever the next election is, I hope it's a summer election, because the last two February elections have been <laughs> awful. Um, you know, in Fine Gael, we will never be so arrogant as other parties were in the past to assume that we should be in office, to assume that we're the natural party of government, as Fianna Fáil used to call themselves. We have spent the last six to seven years taking this country out of an economic crisis and recession, restoring our sovereignty. And we're now in a position where we have balanced the books this year, um, and that puts us in a place economically, it gives us the kind of security that we need to do great things for the future. And Pascal was talking about this earlier on. You know, it's one thing to recover economy, but that doesn't mean that you've healed your society. And we still believe that we've got a, a great bit of work to do to, to heal our society and to bring opportunities to every part of the country. And that's why we want to remain in office. That's why in the leader's speech, Taoiseach talked about the future, talked about his vision, not about other political parties. And it's why, as Josefa pointed out, we've published this first iteration of building a republic of opportunity so we can share our, our ideas with everyone so they know exactly where we want to go. But there's something that we have noticed in the last six months or so. We had a very difficult election in 2016. We, we came out as the largest party, but we thought that we would have done better. And we had a problem with political stability because we were looking at a minority situation. And Enda Kenny and Michael Noonan put together a minority government that has held so far. But since we've had a new leadership change, since we've seen this new generation in, in the Overacar take over the running of the country, there's a lot more um, optimism in Fine Gael and there's a lot more fight back in Fine Gael. We felt on the canvas after 2016, we don't feel that way anymore. And so we look to the next election ready for that fight and with a lot of optimism. So, ready for the government and ready for, ready for that fight. Uh, listen, Owen Murphy, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks also to Josefa Madigan for joining us today. Thanks to Harry McGee. Um, Fia Kelly is going off to do more reporting, I think, down below in the, in the main hall. Maybe to thanks join. to our producer, <laughs> Declan Conlon. Thanks to you all for, for joining us here today. And do remember, you can always listen to all our podcasts on irishtimes.com slash podcast, or you can subscribe via iTunes or whatever way you manage to get your podcast. You can find me on Twitter. In fact, I think you can find all the Irish Times uh, politics nerds on Twitter all the time. And you can probably find our, our political guests on Twitter as well. But until the next time for Irish Times Inside Politics, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. You're listening to the Irish Times.